Hey, Friday Night Lights fans. It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond is an episode-by-episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly, Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a. someone who wasn't on the show but really, really loves it a lot. We will also bring on some special guests, answer your questions, and tell you about what's going on in our lives today. It's not only football. Friday Night Lights and Beyond is available now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose! My guest today is going to get into some very controversial topics, and I thought it would be important for me to uh, just talk about it before we get into this conversation. I'm a free speech absolutist. I wanted to hear what she had to say. My only regret is that I didn't push back towards the end of the conversation. You'll see where she characterizes her daughter's transgender experience as related to a mental illness. And in my feeling on this is, okay, if that's true, I'm, I'm not taking a position on it, what's wrong then when treating that mental illness with other transformative therapies if we end up in a better place for the patient? I certainly have many transgender individuals in my life. I, I'm clear they've made the right choices for them, whether it is surgery or hormone blockers or hormone supplementation. And people are all very different with how they approach what they want to do with their with their experience. And I have a lot of friends in my life that are uh, thriving, and that's the thing. If if this is if this is something related to the mental illness, which it may be in some cases. Why can't we use interventions that transform that person if it improves their overall mental health experience and, and resolves the mental health syndrome that we're hoping to, to treat? And that is, in fact, my the only horse I have in the race, which is, okay, well, there are doctors prescribing hormone blockers, powerful hormones, extremely powerful medication, serious surgeries. And we need to get that right. I, I bring it up in this podcast that if we're going to use our very powerful interventions to help these help our patients, we have to select the right patient for the right treatment. And I've seen it. I'm clear that in some situations the hormone blocking is a good idea. I'm clear in some situations it is not. But how at that moment that the patient is approached, the doctor approaches the patient – how do you determine what the right treatment is for that given individual? That's the part that needs more research, in my opinion, and that's the part that we have to get right. You're starting to hear stories now about people who are not super happy with how they were treated, and that's be, that's not on the patient. That's on the doctors who prescribe these things. So that's the only strong feeling I have on the entire topic. I, I am not someone who believes there's grooming, and I, I think this is all kind of rhetorical excess. I think this is – at its core, it's something managed by doctors, and doctors need to get it right. Now, in terms of what uh, my guest has to say, if this is in any way threatening or adds to people feeling like they're harmed in any way by this, please understand that is not my intent at all. I'm deeply um, uh, saddened and sorry if that's in fact how you feel. That should not be how you feel and should not be how this information is used. Uh, it is time that we all, though, Protect free speech, protect all the opinions so each of us can arrive at our own conclusion on what it is we believe about these rather complex topics that are flying around these days. Um, and I think a lot of people probably ought to sit out and not have an opinion about it because just reacting with feelings is not helping anybody. These are complicated issues. 
uh, we are, should all be interested in human thriving and that anybody who uh, has identifies as transgender, we should only wish that they should thrive and have productive lives. That's it. That should be our only real concern. So let's get on with this, um, and uh, hopefully we'll learn a little something. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, keep listening, guys. We have lots of great guests coming up, and uh, haven't they've been very interesting in recent weeks. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you supporting the people who support the pod. Don't forget to check out the streaming shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, typically at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Also interviewing some interesting people, just trying to piece together what's happened to us last couple of years by talking to people who have been silenced. That's primarily what we do. We also take calls there, too, and live. So if you have questions, want to talk to me, look for an announcement for Twitter Spaces. That's where we take our phone calls. And, uh, you know, forget After Dark. After Dark's always lurking around out there. We're still doing that hand over fist. Today, my guest is Erin Friday. She's a licensed California attorney, also a parent of a child who was trans-identified. She leads the U.S. branch of Our Duty. This is a parent group dedicated to advocacy in regards to children and gender ideology. Friday, uh, Friday is a lifelong Democrat who voted for same-sex marriage, to give you a context where we're talking here. And this is obviously a hot-button topic, but I thought this might be an interesting way to get into it. And um, Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So let me start out by saying I, I don't have a strong opinion on the topic. I, I do think, as with most things, that's gone too far. I see it all as kind of a medical thing that my my profession is inadequately uh, addressing uh, in terms of finding the right treatment for the right patient and thereby using one size fits all, which never works in medicine. Uh, tell me where you're at and what happened to you. Um, well, I'm a bit of an abolitionist when it comes to uh, uh, gender treatments, and I, I came by that uh, very organically. Um, my daughter, when she was about 12, uh, after being subjected to the California sex ed curriculum, uh, which said that, you know, you could be born in the wrong body, that you could have a female body and actually be a male. Um, she came home from uh, school with a new gender identity. At that time, she picked pansexual, which is kind of uh, intriguing given the fact that she was only 11 and uh, didn't uh, ha hadn't had any kind of sexual intercourse at that age. So pansexual means that you are attracted to all things, all people. Um, so that was kind of my first entrance into what the gender ideology uh, world is. And then as she uh, went through puberty, then she switched to, and this is normal. This is, this is pretty much what happens to these girls. They pick something asexual, pansexual, polyamorous, uh, you name it, just some kind of label because it's interesting. And if they feel at all different, they have to glum onto a label. And then she moved to lesbian and then she finally landed on trans and, um, and I did a deep dive because, you know, that's how I'm trained. I, I, I'm an attorney and I don't take anybody's word for anything. I have to read the studies and I need to read the literature. And I quickly, um, quickly landed on that. 
Well, it's a physical impossibility for anybody to be born in the wrong body. It's just not possible. Uh, gender identity is a term that was coined in the 1950s. Uh, all, you know, humans are, were either female or male. That's just a biological fact. Uh, it's chromosomal. It is based on uh, your ability to procreate and what body parts you have. And so, can, can I can I stop right there? There's a lot there's a lot more to go from there, but sure, it's there. There are other rare genetic variants that somehow became sort of the rallying point for the initiation of a lot of this thinking. In other words, that people and and it, it it's a very strange history, right? Uh, that doctors would not have the ability to check the actual chromosomal uh, uh, reality of the child, they would use it based on the external genitalia, and as well as that, the ability to sort of adjust the genitalia surgically in one direction or the other, rather than what the actual biological facts were. And they mistreated a lot of people by doing that. They had some, you know, XXs that they they made phenotypically male, and that did not go well. <laughs> it did not go well, and vice versa. Uh, and there are people that are, you know, are mixed versions of XXY and XO and other things, but but they those are, you know, genetic anomalies. Those are not the the um, the baseline state of, of the human condition. Uh, those are those are chromosomes that migrated in strain in unusual ways, and have unusual features. Uh, it's weird to me that that became the group that they sort of built this around this this because it's so unusual and so rare. And in reality, once you could test for the hormonal circumstance, were rarely mistreated. They're sort of treated properly. What what, what happened there? Uh, well, I think it became became interesting. I mean, you're talking about the intersex condition, which yeah. is you're you're a physician, so you know better than I. But it's a it's a mutation that doesn't that doesn't mean that there are three sexes or four sexes or five sexes. There are still two sexes. This is just a, an anomaly, as as you said. And um, I think the medical community is always looking, and I'm speaking in generalizations, into something that's interesting. And it's very interesting to play kind of uh, social versus physical and, and what can we do? And that was John Money. He was very interested in, in can we change a biological boy into a girl? Is it all social construct? And that, of course, failed miserably. And that young fellow committed suicide, including his his brother committing suicide. So they were, you know, it's, to me, it's like a God complex of what can we do with the human body? Um, and can we change women to men and men to women? And uh, we cannot. Every every cell in our body is, it has an XX or an XY or an XXY if there's, they're intersex. And, and but so, but the, so, so there's biological sex. This is where people get very weird. It, so there is biological sex. People that deny biological sex are denying biology, right? So biological sex is the male biological sex creates lots of small gametes, and the female biological sex creates very few 
gametes in which they invest lots of uh, biological and metabolic resources. That's it. In biology, period. Uh, I guess if you get into certain worms or unicellular organisms or something, it gets a little different. Certainly in mammals, that's it. Uh, and But then gender is something different, right? Gender is the construct of the phenotypic expression of that biology through the prism of the social historical circumstance. Would, would all that be accurate so far and from your position? Yes, absolutely. But well, let me ask you a question because yeah. you're about my, my age. Um, I did not grow up with a gender identity. There was no there was no discussion of that. I grew up right. with the body that I had, and um, like many girls in my generation, I was a complete tomboy. And so, no one asked me whether I was a girl or a boy because I liked to get muddy and preferred to play with boys' toys and and play boys sports. Um, so this is a, all a new, um, I would call it a pathology that has been foisted on this generation that there is such a thing as a gender essence. Yes. You wake up in the morning and you just are. Um, so I think what we're teaching kids is that is that being a boy who likes typically feminine things is somehow transgender. It's just a boy who prefers, you know, stereotypical girl things. And if you, if you ask, I mean, if you listen to anybody who talks about their transgender child, the parent always says, well, he always liked dolls. He always liked pink. He preferred to play with girls and vice versa for the girls. And so they're taking what is a normal childhood what should be normal, that girls can play with anything they want. They can dress however they want. That doesn't change their sex. And we should not medicalize a child based on what they like and don't like, how they prefer to wear their hair, how they prefer to walk, what toys they prefer. So we have a friend of the show, I will not bring her into this because she gets a lot of heat, who, who observed something very similar to what you observed, uh, observed. She's an author. And she said, you know, when, when I was growing up, I just had colleagues. Some were male, some were female. And that was that. We, didn't, we competed with each other. We did what we did. We didn't think about these binaries. We didn't think about, um, you know, isolating one group or another. It, just, it was just we just were all in the soup together and we were, you know, competing as, as peers and colleagues, particularly academically. I mean, that's, you know, there was no thought to you're being held back or you're being, you know, uh, formed into this one identity. And, and, uh, my other concern is that, you know, in my training, and I don't know what to do with this fluid, incomplete sense of identity was something that needed to be worked through. It was an unpleasant state for people to be in. It, you know, the whole goal of adulthood was having a cohesive identity. So it's odd to me that we are amplifying the usual adolescent sense of incoherent sense of self, which is normal developmentally, but we're, we're sort of ensconcing it in something that arrests it, it seems like to me. Is that anything? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, if you if most people go back into their teenage years, they tried on a lot of different 
and I don't even like to use the word identity anymore, but we tried on a lot of different identities. I mean, I wanted to be one of the heart sisters at one point and I permed my hair. So it was like out to here. I wanted to be Madonna at another point. Um, we, we we're trying on these personalities because um, we're consolidating. We're deciding who we're actually going to be as adults. And these are all really normal developmental things that we humans have gone through for eons. And now we're calling it gender dysphoria. Now we're putting a label on it. And I had to, I just have to kind of go back to the, the, the class that I took after my daughter came home when she said that she was pansexual and I'm like, what is going on? So I went to the parenting class on, on sexuality and these two gentlemen stood up there and they actually said that, you know, if you're not GI Joe and you're not Barbie, you're somewhere on this spectrum. And to me, that was absolute lunacy because there is no GI Joe and there is no Barbie. There is no right way to be a woman or, or wrong way to be a woman. You just are a woman. And this is what they're teaching children. A and they're medicalizing based on it. I mean, the, the schools are, the teachers are now being, being taught to be on the lookout for gender non-conforming kids. All kids should be gender non-conforming. What does it mean to be conforming? That I have to wear lipstick every day and and wear a tight skirt and wear stilettos. I mean, it's nonsensical what they're doing to these children. Let them grow up. And then on the medical part of it, puberty blockers, which I think you were alluding to, and I might be wrong, but puberty blockers arrest that natural development, that maturation of the brain to where the child is can now decide and and it takes years this is why this is why we have age limits for certain things because you know the boring number crunchers no mathematically kids make really dumb decisions they can't drink because till they're 21 because they will get in their car and crash them and they still do that they can't rent a VRBO um, until they're 25 because they're going to have a huge party and destroy the place. They can't rent a car. Actuaries know this. Doctors know this. They know the frontal lobe does not, uh, it isn't fully formed until average age of 25. But we're telling these kids, nine and 10 year olds, that they can make these lifetime changes. The, the the purely medical challenge is if you miss that window, it, it changes dramatically what you can do for a kid. And I have seen transgender individuals where I was convinced it was the right thing for them. I've seen situations where I'm not convinced. But I, again, the, whether it is the right thing or not is a separate issue, but I'm just convinced they, they seemed – so they seem to have a cohesive identity, <laughs> frankly, of the other gender, and the blockers really allowed for that to happen in a way that it could not have happened otherwise. And I think because those stakes are so high, that's where all the energy is. And again, I go back to what I did say at the beginning, which is the fact that they're just being given and the parents aren't even being consulted sometimes and that the child is allowed to be the, the decision maker in this 
gravely concerning to me. Physicians, we have done horrible things to humans throughout history. When I arrived at the psychiatric hospital I worked at for many years, I, as the new internist in town there, uh, I acquired all the patients who had had psychosurgery during the 40s and 50s. It was a freaking catastrophe. It was the standard of care. You know, John F. Kennedy's sister got it. It, it was ridiculous. And so to, to say that we haven't done horrible things in the name of helping people would be a in, insanely uh, inaccurate statement. So that's my – I always fear when my profession is – you know, go, getting out of their lane a little bit or potentially hurting people or, you know, again, it's usually in a one-size-fits-all phenomenon where the enthusiasm develops for a certain treatment. That's where you know, opiate addiction, the opiate crisis, same thing. Everyone, pain is what the patient says it is, whatever. You give them 90 Vicodin, that's what you have to do, or you're guilty of patient abuse and you'll be sued, not malpractice, criminally, for abusing a patient. This is the stuff that uh, has been going on for the last fifty years. That this just, uh, just, and th I don't want this to be another one, and um, I fear that it could be. But that's a different issue than should should there be puberty blockers or not. Which is, I think we had to table that one, right? I don't think we can actually solve that. I know your opinion is there shouldn't be, right? Well, wait a second. <laughs> so the UK just stopped puberty blockers. But the, what they I mean, did? No, no, no. What the, what they did was. They, nope, the, just this week. Yeah, I know. While we do more research to figure how to get the right patients for the right treatment. That's really how they framed it. Right, right. So it has to be in a research yeah. in a research yeah. in a research framework. I, I, I'm all for and that. So has Sweden. I'm all for that. And so has Finland. Yeah, I'm all for that. And, and let's go let's go back in time. And this is what irks me to no end. Okay, puberty blockers were used for precocious puberty. Yeah. True. That's what they were originally uh, approved for on, under the F FDA, and they still have not been approved for gender dysphoria. There is n there is not one study that says puberty blockers alleviates gender dysphoria. Not not one. I agree. Not, not are, you, are you taking any legal action in that regard? Because it seems to me like a massive exposure for people. That oh, well, there are laws. Well, I mean, we can talk about that, too. So one of the things that I do is I try to connect plaintiffs with uh, plaintiff's attorneys. So we've got a network of attorneys willing to take these cases and there'll be class action suits. Um, sure. Um, on, on puberty blockers, because well, let me continue on like a little bit with well, the science well, on here. Well, I'll let you go in just a second. I just want to clarify some things is, and you're really taking aim at treatment of children, right? Do you have a strong opinion about adults choosing to, to use so, hormonal therapy to tra transition? So I'm pragmatic on this. I, I, like I said before, I'm an abolitionist. Like I don't believe that anybody benefits from transitioning, even if they say that they they do. I, I, I don't believe that that's true. Now, under the age of 25, when that frontal lobe, but but I don't think I'm going to put the horse back in, into the barn. So I'm not. I'm do you, not do you, let me just ask: Do you know transgender adults? Do you have any yes. friends? And they they how do they seem to you? Do you worry not that? Well. They're, well, so I have I have. Some that I worry about, and some that I am totally clear that they're they've done what's right for them, and and, and I, I don't think you would object to that, would you? Like I said, those over the age of twenty five, I'm I'm not going to. You're fight agnostic. For You're men. agnostic. Okay. I am not going to fight. I think it's the wrong decision. Okay. Because I because I deal with detransitioners, so I have them. They they call me in the middle of the night, and they transitioned after twenty five, and they are suicidal, 
and they don't know where they belong. They have a, a extreme regret. So I, I do deal with people who did this over the age of 25. Is that mostly people who've had surgical types of interventions? Or just, I, I wonder if you can characterize that population for me. I'm well, curious. The ones, that, the ones that I have dealt with had surgical. Yeah. Had, had body parts removed. Yeah. And they have acute regret. And most of them were in and out of mental institutions most of them are autistic most of them didn't get their mental health aspects um addressed before they did this to their bodies and that's the, that's the norm because it's it's consent based so anyone including myself can walk into planned parenthood and walk out with syringes of testosterone no questions asked and, and this this is that same same problem which is the right patient right treatment this is the you know somebody who had complex mental health issues not a great probably not a great candidate uh, for this kind of treatment I, I again i i you and i you and i will just agree to disagree on this thing i i just see this as so much a problem of medicine i'm telling you I, I've seen us do this before. I've seen us be used in cannabis. Just legal, you know, medical cannabis was another example of, you know, using the medical system to carry out an ideological kind of, uh, uh, of uh, campaign. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. And when you're not at your best, you can't do all the things you want to do. And sometimes life gets you bogged down. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of who you are. Connect you to yourself, literally. When you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on things in life. You have someone in your corner, quite literally. And you know I'm a fan of therapy. I'm also a fan of BetterHelp. I've sent patients, family, friends, and been very pleased with the professionals and the services they provide. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, entirely online. So no more any nonsense about stigma. You're not going to run into anybody. Why would stigma even enter into the conversation? Just fill out a brief conversation to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. No longer any excuses. Why wouldn't you do it? BetterHelp. Here's something you may not know. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, 25% of Americans live more than an hour from a Tier 1 or Tier 2 trauma center. If one of those... If you're one of those 83 million people, have you thought about what kind of immediate help is available should you need it and what it might cost? Well, there's an easy way to stress less and free yourself from this financial worry, an Air MedCare Network membership. Air MedCare Network's participating providers transport critically ill or injured patients in fully equipped state-of-the-art helicopters. But being an Air MedCare Network member brings expert care and financial peace of mind because you will have no out-of-pocket expenses only when flown by an AMCN provider. You can become a member for just $99 a year and your entire household is covered. Right now, Dr. Drew Podcast listeners get up to an $80 MasterCard or Amazon e-gift card when they join AMCN and use that code DREW, D-R-E-W. Protect your family and your finances. Visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew today. It, it's, well, we, I agree on that. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. This is a medical medical issue. I mean, you look at the W path. Does anybody ever really look at the W path and see who those doctors are that that wrote these 
quote unquote standards of care because legally they're not standards of care. I mean, one should take a look at who those people are who who, who wrote those standards. Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, standard of care eight uh, for adolescents. One of the uh, contributors is Susie Green. Susie Green is not a doctor. She has no medical background whatsoever. Her, her street cred is that she's the head of mermaids, which is being investigated in the UK right now. She was a contributor. That WPATH then standard of care. And, and also, she's, she's also all over YouTube. The reason she transitioned her son was because her husband was homophobic and didn't like the fact that her son liked girl things. So anyway, she's a contributor to, to this medical standard. That gets pushed on to the AAP. The AAP had 18, 18 pediatricians that approved its 2018, you know, uh, process saying gender affirming care is correct. 18 out of 67,000 pediatricians came up with that. And then if you look at who the, that author is, his name is Jason Rafferty. He had a financial stake in what he wrote. He runs a gender clinic. And that gender clinic increased by 54% the next year. And the year after that, by 34%. So we have to actually look at why is the medical community doing this? Who are the people in the medical community that are pushing this? And you'll follow the money. You'll, you'll see it. It's very, very clear. But, but everyone's ignoring that because they're just reading. They're just reading what the, the headline says. Gender affirming care is the appropriate treatment. Puberty blockers is the appropriate treatment. But nobody's looking at who said that and why did they say that? Why did they say that? And what was that based on? When you look at the language in the WPATH, it's, well, we believe. I mean, you can read all the citations because I read them. It's all squishy language. We think, well, there's no long-term studies. There's no long-term studies about children. The thing, the facts that we know about children is that they will be sterilized. That is a fact. All the other things, do we know that it's going to help their mental health? We don't know because we in the United States have a, we, we didn't follow up on any of these kids that we've been transitioning. Not a one. Well, there, there was the Williams study out of UCLA, right? Oh, but that was that was debunked. Did yeah? They there is no benefit for mental health. They had they had to um, admit to that, but they didn't they didn't go to the press. They didn't change any of the press on it. They still said, oh, it it helps mental mentally. There's no. It says in the study itself, people have to read the study. But at least they did it. At least they did the longer term horizons. And it said there's no benefit. So why in the United States are we still doing this to children? Why are we cutting off healthy body parts of children? We're doing it. 12 and 13 year old girls are getting their breasts removed. Do they even know what they're for? Can they possibly comprehend breastfeeding a child? They cannot. You tell an 11-year-old boy who's going to go on puberty blockers and then right on to cross-sex hormones, because that's what happens. There is no pause button. That's a fallacy. 98% of all children that are placed on puberty blockers go on to cross-sex hormones. 
So take a little boy who thinks that he's a girl. Put First of all, you socially transition him. So all the adults in his life are calling him a girl. Can he ever get out from underneath that? No, he can't. So now it's concretized in his mind that he is actually a girl. He gets placed on puberty blockers. They stop the maturation of the brain. They stop his gonads from growing. They stop his penis from growing. So now he has a micro penis. He goes on to puberty blockers. Or he goes on to cross-sex hormones. He is now never going to achieve an orgasm in his life. How do you get consent from that child? How do you explain to an 11-year-old what an orgasm is? I would love to see somebody explain that to a child. I also worry that you know these long-term uses of the high dose of hormones on either direction, we, we just don't know the effect of that. Is that shortening their life? Is that is there any other, is it creating heart disease, a liver problem? Are there so many things it could be doing that that we just don't know? Uh, and that, that gravely concerns me. But we, we I mean, it, there are increases in dementia. There are studies out there, increased dementia, heart disease, shortened life, 20% more likely to commit suicide post transition. We know these we know these things atrophy of the uterus so then they have to get a hysterectomy. These there aren't a, there aren't that many unknowns as far as what bad things will happen on these hormones. And then the medical community wins financially on both ends because once somebody detransitions and and they do and it's not a 1% detransition stat. That, that's false. Uh, once they detransition, they need to get synthetic hormones again for the rest of their life because they don't have ovaries. They don't have testes. They are a lifetime medical patient. Money, money. Well, that, that's the part. That's the part that I struggle with, being a literally a lifetime whichever direction you're going, whatever you're doing, transitioning, detransitioning, whatever it is, you're you're ending up on chronic medical management of of really. It's a symptomatic to me of how we how casual we become about medication. Medications are dangerous, all of them. It's only when the risk reward is worth taking the risk and treating all meds and all hormones and all exogenous sources of whatever as uh, just nothing, that is a grave miscarriage of medical reality. Medicines are dangerous. And I, I was my dad was a family practitioner. He just beat that into me as a kid. Like, you take medicines when you have to. That That's when it's worth it. Otherwise, don't do that. Right. I mean, there's doctors out there, and you know they're all over Twitter. Just try it. Just take a little tea. See how it works. Like it's like it's a like it's you know chewing gum. Yeah. These are serious. These are serious drugs with serious side effects, and you know these eighteen year olds are walking into Planned Parenthood and getting cross sex hormones with out giving their medical backgrounds uh, without being it's it's easy you can do it over the phone it takes a half an hour I mean I any of your listeners can call Planned Parenthood and pretend that they want it and they'll get it over the phone I do it it's easy no how, questions asked how is your daughter doing uh she's doing really well thank you for asking can, can you can you 
and of course you had no no pressure to to use her as a case example. But is there anything we can learn from her her situation? I think there's a lot to be learned from her um, because you know I'm in, I'm in California and um, every doctor, every therapist, every teacher, a priest. Uh, they all told me to affirm my daughter and call her by a male name and to accept that I now have a son instead of a daughter. They told me that my memories were incorrect of her being girly um, and that it was all false. And I need to I need to accept her as a boy or she will commit suicide. Those are the things that I was told. And uh Again, like I said, I, I just read and um, I debunked everything that they said. The suicide stats are higher, but they're not anywhere to what they said they were. Um, and I swam upstream all pretty much by myself. I ignored every medical professional I had to. And that to me is sorrowful. I have doctors in my family. We, I come from a family of doctors and lawyers. Um, I don't take my child to a pediatrician anymore because I don't trust the medical community. I, like you, as you introduced me, I am a liberal. I moved to California because I am so liberal. Um, but I don't trust teachers anymore. They changed my daughter's name. So what I did to get her out of this is I... I fought tooth and nail. I quit my job. I threw everything, all my time, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars to get her well. I had to go out of state for a psychiatrist. And I wouldn't concretize her belief. I think it is abusive to concretize a delusion. I think it is harmful to call a girl a boy. And, and what and what happened to her? How did how did it evolve? Well, it's it's slow process getting them out, but eventually uh, she came out, and that was with. You know, I had to send her to go visit family people, adults who I knew would treat her as they've always known her. Um, I sent her to camps that required her to do physical work all day long so that she would understand how strong and amazing her body is just as it is. Is she an adult now? No, she's still, she's still a teenager. It, it, so I have a long way to go. Does, does she have a perception of, or an explanation of what was happening or, or a sort of a, a narrative? She doesn't talk about it. Um, it's still really too raw and she's still young. So she can't really understand the bullet that she dodged, what she says is I was mentally ill. And and what about just having a non-binary identity? I, I kind of feel like that's, well, I, I mean, that's just a- What is that? I, it, not for me to say, but I but I feel like if people are sort of in that, like like you said, they're, they are what they are and they should be feared to express that. You're a girl who likes to wear boys' clothes. Why don't we do that? This non-binary stuff is is a slippery slope because now they're medicalizing non-binary kids. Yeah. What is that? I mean, somebody can define it. There's, there's an infinite number of genders, according to Diane Aronsaf of UCSF. Infinite. Ex name 40 for me. 
No, I, I know they, they get the weird zebra a, zebra genders it, and th- it just gets weird. There's autism gender. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it, it, that's it gets into outer space very quickly. That stuff. Um, but but I do I you know again I I I'm just basing it on my instinct on knowing people that are transgender or non-binary and it seems to be quite good for them. I, and I, I, I we, you and I both want people to thrive, right? We're interested in adults thriving. Your your concern is children being foisted into certain categories or another, right? I would guarantee if you got all this gender nonsense out of the schools, our numbers would plummet. That we would go back to what was it, the 0.06% that it uh, historically has been. I mean, right now, I think two, what was it? 236% increase in Seattle schools of kids saying they're non-binary. That's absurd. This is a social contagion. Girls start social contagions. We have the fainting, anorexia, bulimia, hysteria, cutting, cutting. These are These are all social contagions. And now we're medicalizing social contagions and laws are being passed to force parents to medicalize their children. This is where we are in the United States. So what is your theory about where this increase is coming from other than the environment in which that's being encouraged? What, What do you think some of this is? Why are all these kids saying that they're yeah, they have gender identity because they're being taught it. It's mostly from, girls to boy, right? It's not boys to girls. Well, there's boy to girl. Too, there, there are, but it's mostly girl to boy, right? Correct. And so the flip flop. I mean, why wouldn't the medical community question that? I mean, there's a four thousand four hundred percent uptick in in girls saying that they're boys when it used to be. I think. I mean, it's used to be boys that were saying that they were girls. And, and it flip-flopped, and nobody's investigating the causality behind that. Any theory? That, to me, is confounding. Um, but, you know, I look at schools, schools at kindergarten and TK, especially here in California, they do read-alouds, they read I Am Jazz to four-year-olds who still believe in Santa Claus, and they start planting the seed that they could be born in the wrong body and kids who are in, uncomfortable with their with their bodies, which is pretty much every kid when you're going through puberty. Sorry, sorry to raise this, but girls don't like going through puberty. Um, we don't like getting breasts. We don't like being sexualized. We don't like gaining weight. We don't like our periods. They're now being told that's because you're you're trans, and well, so the internet is filled with it. TikTok is filled with it. Let, let's zero in on that. Do, do you think that the over-sexualization of females is part of the culprit? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Do you think early exposure to pornography might be some of the culprit? 100%. So, so it is kind of a reaction to the environment in the young women are looking at those things and going, well, that's not me, right? Well, I don't know what's going on in that pornography stuff, but that I, I'm not me. I don't want to be that. And and by the way, I don't like how people are treating me just because I have breasts, right? The average age that kids are exposed to hardcore pornography has dropped to, I think, 10? I think it's 11? 9. I think it's 9. 9. Okay, it was, 9. It was 11 no, for nine. a long time. I think it dropped down. Yeah, so imagine that. So imagine being a young female 
and looking at what is happening to women in pornography. There is the not the pornography of our generation was Playboy. Mm-hmm. It was a naked woman. And if you really wanted to find triple X, you had to go into a CD uh, you know, video store and, and purchase it. It wasn't it wasn't on this. You know, you didn't have it 24-7 um push pushed on you. And so girls see that and they don't want to be choked. They don't want to be gang banged. They don't want to be drinking out of dog dishes. Uh, And so they're opting out. So that's the non-binary. I'm out. An asexual. I'm out. I'm not doing any of this. Uh, And for boys, the way boys get into it, and I'm a lead of a parent group. So I deal with hundreds of parents. I mean, all these things that I'm saying is because I know the stories from the parents. They call, they say they have a boy. And I say, let me guess, super smart, really into computers, mathematic, mathematically inclined, socially awkward, into anime, watches sissy porn. That's how the boys, that's that's the trajectory for the boys. Like there's patterns and why doctors can't see these patterns because they're as clear as day to me. Um, and, and then there's the patterns for the girls. And most of the, you know, a lot of the girls are, are there and boys are autistic, huge numbers of autistic kids that get wrapped up in this black and white thinking. Are, are they form, formally diagnosed autistic or are you just speculating? no. Formally diagnosed. It's a huge, huge number, huge number of kids, and they can't get, they can't get out of their mind then because they're they're inundated with it. Oreo cookies has, you know, LGBTQ packaging on it. Uh, Kellogg's has what's your pronoun on the back of it. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's ubiquitous, and these kids are seeing it as. I'm weird. I'm uncomfortable. I don't fit in. Oh, I figured it out. I'm trans. And then when you're trans and a kid and even a, you know, a young adult, you are raised into stardom. You are so brave, so amazing. How strong. You're so authentic. You get to be the cool kid for the moment. Well, it, it is certainly the the. Where do you imagine this is all going? Let's put it that way. Well, I do believe the end is coming around the corner. Uh, I do see more and more parents waking up to what is happening to their children, and uh, you know, despite the media blackout, because it's an absolute media blackout for uh, mainstream media, no one will interview me. I, I, I'm a Democrat, again, of 30 years. I, I have never voted for a Republican except in 2022. Almost everyone in my parent group is a Democrat or former Democrat. And they keep calling us, you know, transphobes, homophobes, voted for same-sex marriage, work with lesbians, you know, not religious. Uh, but the Democrat parents are finally waking up to what is happening to their children. What if and your what if your daughter eventually comes out as gay? Would you have feelings about that? 
I don't care. I don't care about that at all. I'm in San Francisco. Nobody cares about that. Would you feel good about it? I would be happy my daughter is not medicalizing her body and she's she can love who she wants. Hmm. Well, this is a it's a it's a difficult topic. It's a hot button topic. Uh, I I do feel that you know you I've already sort of stated my opinion. I don't need to just say it again. Um, but I am interested in talking to you. I'm interested in exactly what you're looking at with this, which is patterns. I mean, that's always what I've looked at <laughs> to understand clinical situations and the fact that those these patterns are not being examined carefully and that the forward looking uh, effects of therapeutic treatments are not being properly or carefully documented is had had I not had the the, the experience with the vaccine therapies that are going on right now, I would have found this just astonishing, but I, I no longer find it astonishing, unfortunately. I feel like the medicine has been bureaucratized, medicine has been centralized, that individual practitioners are silenced and can't speak up, research isn't done that runs afoul of any of the bureaucratic uh, uh, sort of uh, standard of care, and 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 the cozy relationship with the drug companies has an extraordinary influence on all of this. And I did not know it. I wouldn't have believed it myself. Uh, but uh, the pandemic sort of exposed a lot of these things that you're talking about that are seem to be operating in this phenomenon as well. And I, I worry the, the goal would be to help people, right? I mean, that's the goal. You, it, it, whatever that means, whatever the data, you know, you got to be willing to go where the data tells you, right? And as long as the data is collected properly and the research is done properly, it, it may be different than you imagine, but it, it needs to, you know, we'll see. It has to be done before you can even figure out what we're talking about. Would you at least agree to that? Yeah, but let's talk about some of the data that's already out there. There's, there's 11 out of 11 studies on young children. So this is prepubescent children that 88% of them would desist. That means that they would grow up and be happy in their bodies. If you did nothing, if you did not socially transition them, if you did not call them another name and you did not pump their bodies with puberty blockers, 88%. I mean, some of the studies are 60 to 88%, but tell me who those doctors are since there's no test for this, who can figure out who's going to persist. They don't exist. That's the problem. Right, that's that's a huge problem. So we have... We have studies on these and they're being ignored. They're just being whitewashed. They don't exist because they don't fit the political narrative. But those studies exist. Why does politics get involved in medicine at all? I can't, money. Yeah. I can't. There's huge, huge money in this. The human rights campaign, the biggest pusher of trans medicine, brought in $10 million in 2010. This year it brought in, I think $68 million. And guess what it's using those million dollars for? What's up? Politicians, Hmm. spending money on pushing politicians. So this is a political issue. $25 million plume in online synthetic hormone company just raised $25 million. Why? Because this is a money making, you know, medical treatment. Why are there so many gender clinics popping up all over the country? Because it makes 
money. You have the Vanderbilt uh, doctor saying that, admitting it in 2018. It makes millions and millions of dollars. Billions, actually, it's a billion dollar industry. And and again, I, I always want to caution people to understanding the effect of money in medicine. It's 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 not it's not not a guy with a twirling his mustache showing up with a bag of cash. It's much more pernicious and these you know interrelationships that grow over years because of various financial and governmental regulatory forces in place. And it it feels like that phenomenon of the cozy relationship with drug companies and and medicine and bureaucratic medicine in particular and regulatory medicine as well has reached an absolute critical mass and and, I, and again i think it, it's not just in this area it's in a number of areas but we have uh, run out of time is there a place you'd like people to go if they'd like to learn more about what you're doing sure um they could go to ourduty.group our duty o-u-r duty one word yes okay dot group and uh, are you able to go back to practicing law? Or are you back doing your thing? Or well, what I what I do, I think I'm I'm more effective in my advocacy role. Uh, I would like to be one of the attorneys filing these lawsuits, but I can help more people by connecting people with the attorneys who can do it. Um, I'm also proposing uh, legislation, and um, you know, I advocate for parents and try to connect them with psychiatrists and therapists who don't won't just affirm their children. Uh, so I think my superpower is really in, in connecting people. But yeah, I'd love to be part of these lawsuits because, man, I've got some questions for a lot of people. All right. Appreciate it. Aaron Friday, thank you for joining us. Difficult topic. Uh, I've learned a little bit talking to you and uh, hope other people come along and uh, formulate their own opinion on these topics. And uh, it's a time when we have to all be kind of thinking for ourselves because the the things that are, uh, I, and I don't. And let me be clear. I'm not sure where I am right with all this. I'm inter I'm going to percolate for a while on what you've uh, said to me, uh, and and my gravest concern still is what my profession's role in all this and getting it right, whatever that might mean. But I do appreciate you being, you being here. Last words. Yeah, so there's an interesting phenomenon that happens once you enter the gender sphere and once you start digging. So you first say, as a parent, not my kid. My kid was gender conforming all through life. And so you think, oh, it, they're an ROGD kid, rapid onset gender dysphoric kid. Um, and and then you and you're like, well, maybe other kids, the little kids. And then you start reading the research on that. And then you come out with, no, actually not them either. Like this is not, not okay. These kids would just grow up to be gay. Not a big deal. Conversion therapy. And then you move to the adult space. And you go 1825 and then you say, not for them either, because they have no idea what they're doing. And then you and then you will eventually get to, this is probably not good for anyone. Like body dysmorphia. You don't cut off the hand of somebody who says they shouldn't have the hand. I should be blinded. So you blind them. It doesn't resolve it. You have to, you don't fix the, the mind by changing the body. You fix the mind. I, I would just push back and say I know plenty of transgender people that I'm convinced had done the right thing for them, whatever that might be. Well, uh, uh, I haven't met them yet. <laughs> and 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 it, it can be both can be true. You know, again, if we are selecting the right patients for these changes, 
that can be right for somebody. I, it, people are very uh, complicated. And to say, again, to say that nobody benefits is, is the same thing as saying as everybody benefits. It, it's a, it's, medicine's always a little more complicated than that. So I'm constantly looking at it through that prism. But I appreciate you your, your, uh, coming to talk to me today. And uh, for everyone else, we'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couple's retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows. Available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.